please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us His Word, at the end of the reading, Nate will conclude by saying, This is the Word of the Lord. And then we invite you to respond together. Thanks be to God. You can follow along with the reading and the response on the screens. Today's reading comes from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is this is the worst first commandment they promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long, long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but Bring them up in the discipline and, and, got this, you got this, you can do this. Inscription of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Y'all can grab a seat. If you are in Kingdom Kids, uh, you can make your way to your classroom. K through 1 is to my left, your right, and preschool is to my right, your left. So make your way to your class, elementary kids. It's a good morning to be with you in the house of the Lord. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. This morning, as uh, we saw in the text that Nate just read for us very well, I might add, we are going to be looking at parenting, and by the end of this morning, uh, we're going to know everything that there is to know about parenting. Yeah, so if you've had any questions, they're all going to be answered this morning. Uh, of course not, we're only going to scratch the surface of what's here uh, in God's good design for parenting. And so if you're wondering this morning, is this conversation rele relevant for me? Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a child, maybe you don't have any kids, maybe you're single. This is deeply uh, important for us. How we understand family is based on how we understand God. We've been seeing that all through this series, that the gospel doctrine always precedes a, a gospel culture. Now this week, my wife and I, uh, on Friday night, I did not know I was going to be preaching this morning, uh, but we were on a date, and we were talking through parenting, some areas where we feel like we're at least hitting bunts, at least hitting singles. Um, and in many areas where we believe the Lord is directing us to change, to pivot, to correct things, to ask better questions of our parenting. And so maybe if you're like us, maybe you too uh, should ask some questions of your parenting this morning. Um, so the second half of Paul's letter is all about unpacking the doctrine that we saw in the first half. So he's addressing the church in Ephesus with the implications of the gospel. See, the gospel doctrine always flushes, always, always, hear me, always flushes itself out in gospel culture. So Paul is applying the doctrine to the hearts and lives of the people. And now he's focused on the household order. I'm going to say this really slow. I even put in my notes, say this slow. I need to hear it. We need to hear this. What you believe is showing up in your home. A dear friend of mine put it this way, culture is religion externalized. 
In other words, you, what you worship inevitably shows up in cultural artifacts in your home, such as behaviors, attitudes, actions, what you celebrate, what you affirm, what you value, give high praise. All of these things are showing up in our home. I thought of this uh, a few years ago. My son and I were walking through a store, uh, mostly doing window shopping. That's primarily what we do. You just walk around. You're not looking for anything. You're just kind of making your way around. And I was thinking in that moment, what is my son thinking I value? He can't even really communicate at this, at this juncture of his life. He can now. He communicates a lot. But back then, he couldn't. But he's watching me push him in this little stroller. He's strapped in, captive audience, going by items. What do I, what am I communicating to my child that I value most? What are we communicating that we value most? See, we're changed by the gospel, and it should change and impact how we relate to our family. So this is not going to be a three steps to better parenting. So if that's what you were hoping for, I'm sorry. Uh, there's a lot to be, be said because parenting matters. Parenting matters. And fundamentally, we must remember going in that our identity, first and foremost, is adopted children of God. Then out of that, as a church family, we are responsible in this body for each other. For each other's kids. Your kids are my kids. My kids are your kids. I want to see your kids come to know the Lord so much. And I pray that you would want the same for my children. We rejoice over our children when they turn to the Lord. This is what we hope and pray for. And, ch and child dedications when we do that here at the King's Church. All of that is aimed at covenanting together that we're going to do family together. We're going to do family. Weird, messy, funky family together. That no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, we are family. And so our main idea this morning as we work our way through the text, we're going to see that we glorify God by living together in gospel-shaped families. We glorify God by living together in gospel-shaped families. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, the fact that we can call you Father, help that sink in deeply for us this morning. We are your children. You are our good Father. And as that dynamic shapes us, help it shape our families. So Father, I pray that in the moments that follow, what we have not, you would give us. What we know not, you would teach us. And what we are not, you would make us by the power of your spirit. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, the text here in Ephesians 6 provides for us several principles under which the good lordship of Christ is played out in our homes. The principles are timeless. Remember, Paul is writing, and in this whole letter, we're, get, we're zooming in on four verses, but this is a whole letter that would be read out loud to the people. And this is the big, the big idea in the context, is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. We saw that in five, chapter 5. And submitting to one another. And out of that comes all of this household uh, life. God's eternal plan to unite all things under Christ. And to demonstrate the triumphant wisdom in the heavenly realms is working through the church. We found that out in chapter 3. Is evident not only when we gather here corporately. But also to our obedience to Christ in our homes. So our homes, just as much as when we gather in this space, are places of worship. And so there's a couple observations 
that we're going to look at first, and then we're going to move into a couple what Paul tells us to do, to get busy doing. So the observations. First, Paul assumes that children are present. He assumes that children are present when the letter is being read. He introduces it by saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I love this. I love this whole section because in this culture, in this time, what Paul does is he addressed the culturally unaddressed to elevate their dignity and status and worth. He does this with wives. He says he gives wives, children, and next week bond servants an elevated standing by addressing them in the place primary. He is elevating their dignity, giving them value. So the first thing that we observe is that children matter. Children matter. We should value children. We see throughout all of the scriptures that they are a blessing from God. All children everywhere are a blessing from God. Adam and Eve are told in the garden before sin even enters the world, get busy. In other words, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with these blessings. Fill the earth with these blessings. This is the vision of human flourishing according to the scriptures. Have kids on kids on kids on kids and keep having kids. Keep, keep on having them. All of the beautiful madness that brings over and over in the scriptures, the scriptures calls this a blessing. Now even when I'm saying that and speaking into our present cultural moment, like recognize we might have trouble hearing that because the culture views kids as a curse. Maybe they wouldn't articulate it quite that way, quite that strongly, but it shows up in the culture. I joke, but I'm half serious. We are a pro-dog, anti-baby culture. Paul places children right here so that we would see them and value them. So, elementary kids, glad you're here. Welcome. Make your noise. It's good for us. I'm serious. It's good. You are a blessing. But this isn't just Paul. Jesus himself says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus loved and welcomed the kids. Which when you read the scriptures and the gospel narratives, you see that the rabbis of this time were uninterested in the children. They were uninterested in the children. Which is ironic because the scripture that they studied fastidiously elevated the standing of children all over the place. Children are gifts from God to be stewarded well. Psalm 127, which is tattooed on my brother's Rob's body. Praise be to God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so Paul is writing to a people that children are valuable. But I think chronological snobbery, we're, we live in 2022, Paul's writing in the first century, things have changed, times are different, they are not. There is nothing new under the sun. We're going to talk about that for several weeks over the summer in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Paul is writing to a people that sound very similar to us. We clean it up with technology, but it's very similar to our present moment. And there's a word for us in it. See, the city of Ephesus was known, it was dominated by the Greco-Roman culture. 
And that culture discarded unwanted children constantly. This is what they would do. Listen to this. They would take babies and children, unwanted, unplanned, outside the city, and leave them to die. Mercenaries would come to this mound, this hill, uh, this place of the unwanted. They would take these children to be raised as personal slaves, gladiators to fight in the games, or prostitutes to be sold for profit. There's nothing new under the sun. And the early church would go to these hills, and what did they do? You're coming home with me. All right, you're coming home with me. You're coming home with me. They were notorious for this. They took the orphan, the outcast, the widow, the elderly, and brought them into their homes, showing great hospitality. God's children are a blessing. To the degree that we let that sink in, God's children are a blessing from God so that we value and care for them. Which means we joyfully celebrate the birth of children. We grieve the loss of children. We view them as given by God for a purpose. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has an amazing one-liner. Write it on your fridge. Put it somewhere. To remind yourself, to remind yourself, from God you receive them. To God you lead them. Profound. Profound. There's an example in the Old Testament of this. There's many. We're going to highlight one for sake of time and your attention span. And mine. But it's a story of a woman, Hannah, who's having uh, struggles even having a baby. So she prays to the Lord. And the Lord um, provides a baby. And in 1 Samuel 1, we see this in response. Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition and made, made to, made, and I made to him. Reading is hard. Therefore, therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And then it says that the son and he worshiped the Lord there. We receive them as blessings, and we give them to be blessings. We give them to be blessings. And so we want here at the King's Church the truths of the gospel to press down into the souls, to the bones of our kids. This is why Kingdom Kids is not a baptized daycare. We got enough of that. We got plenty of that. We need something different. We need to pour into our kids the truths of the gospel because we want little girls to grow up knowing not even wondering. They know Christ loves them. We need that. We want our boys to grow into men of integrity who love God and neighbor with gentleness and humility. We want the Noah, the James, the Peter, the Mariah, the Balin, the Everly to grow up with a biblical anthropology to enjoy God's good design for life. To enjoy it. To enjoy it. We see kids as image bearers of God, as disciples, future leaders, missionaries, pastors, sisters, brothers, as the next generation that will grow up to care for the fatherless and motherless. How we talk about these things is impacting them. 
how we're not talking about these things is impacting them. So, again, I feel like every time I'm up here, I'm talking about adoption. Um, But it's right here. We support the work of adoption. Now, there's a lot of sound bites. We're not going to get too much into it. Bear with me, please. Throwing stones at the church for our lack of care of life. For our lack of care of babies outside the womb. Babies in the womb, mothers, the whole deal right now. But let's bring it into the room for one second. In the midst of the noise out there, what if we, as the little kingdom outpost that we are, moved past merely resonating with a tweet and moved into localized, embodied action on the street? What if we actually, there's a lot of noise, great, what are we doing? How do we get involved? We want to put our money where our mission is. We want to put our lives where God's mission is. And that's why we hold out the hope of the gospel to the fatherless, the motherless, the widow, the orphan. This is what we do. This is what we do. It's what we get to do. So the first thing, that's a long observation, but Sorry. Children are a blessing to be valued and cared for. The next thing, all of this is set in the context of the spirit-filled life. This is important. This is a God-centered, Christ-centered reality. So our parenting must first and foremost be God-centered, saturated in the gospel. So we set an example and a pattern. First, the example. We're told in 5.1, parents are to imitate God. High calling. High calling. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Let me just ask you some questions. Now, hear me. When I'm asking these questions, I need the question. We all need the questions. And all of life, as Martin Luther reminds us, is repentance and faith. None of us are perfect. But hear these questions. Are you captivated by the grace of God? Does the gospel make you sing? Does the gospel make you weep? Are you committed to the word of God? Where do do your kids see you running for answers in life? What What would your children say matters most to you? What would they say? My son would probably say my schedule. Or something ridiculous. May it never be. Do they think that what matters most to us is their achievements? their behavior, their grades. Our children are watching and they're listening and observing us. So we must set an example for them. The next thing that we do is we strive to set a pattern. All throughout the letter to the church in Ephesus, God has been patterning our relationships after the Trinity itself. The Trinity Out of the Trinity is flowing all of these relationships. We are image bearers of God reflecting him out into the world. So we just said in the section uh, that we looked at last week, that Pastor Ian walked through, that even our marriages are meant to point to Christ and the church. Our parenting points to another relationship as well. But in our marriages, brothers and sisters, you are preaching a sermon to your kids. Your kids are watching How do you disagree? How do you forgive? Your parents are watching this pattern over and over. And of course, we will fall and fail over and over and over again in this. But our pattern 
is not meant to be perfect. It's meant to point us to the one who is. It's meant to be a signpost, a reflector. Your imperfection is a huge signpost. Use it. Use it. So let's quickly summarize. Children are a blessing. Praise be to God. Let's have them. Let's love them. Let's care for them. Second, we lay down our lives as an example and a pattern. We live before them with integrity. And now we'll get into a couple of the to-dos that Paul has laid out for us in the text. He says, children. That was all on just the word children. So I'm <laughs> sorry. Hopefully the second half will fly a little bit faster for you. Obey. Obey your father and mother. Paul begins by addressing the children. And the word here for children in the context, it doesn't necessarily imply age. Age is kind of not uh, in view here, but it's more of a relationship. Children to their parents. But in the context of discipline and instruction that we'll see in verse 4, he makes it clear that he has in mind a pre-adult child or an unmarried child that should obey their parents. And this command requires, this is not easy, this is not easy, kids, but it requires you to fully comply with your parents' instructions. This is obviously easier when those instructions make sense to you. Most things don't make sense to my son at this age, but they're good for him. Paul here provides children with the spiritual motivation for their obedience. It's not just obedience for the sake of obedience. It's obedience from the heart. Provides the motivation in saying, in the Lord for this is right, in 6.1. Children don't have to obey their parents because their parents are uh, better than or more important than their children. That's not true. And if you believe that, it's going to show up in your parenting. They are equal. They may not have more information in their mind, but they are equally made in the image of God. But as a part of the child's loving obedience to Christ, they obey. Within the limits that the Lord gives. In the Lord. Parents, if you are leading your kid into wild rebellion and sin, the kid should not follow you there. But that will be very challenging. This command makes obeying parents not just the peaceful thing to do, but the morally right thing to do, kids. Children, adult children with adult parents. But I love that it's not just obedience, but the heart is addressed as well. Paul explains that such obedience is right, not because society thinks so. Ours does not. Our society does not seem to care. If the kid thinks that it's a good idea, let them do it. Let them do it. If they want to jump on the couch, wow, that's their truth. That's a lie. They need to get off the couch. They're going to break their neck. That is the loving thing to do. And parenting, a lot of parenting is this, not that. Do this, don't do that. We can't just say, don't. What, do, what should they do? Which we're going to get to in just a second. Get ahead of myself. I apologize. So Paul says we are to honor our father and mother. This is in the top ten greatest hits of the law, right? <laughs> this is the fifth of the ten commandments. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, you can read it there. The scriptures command to honor our parents. And it's treated as seriously as idolatry. This is because the relationship of the parent and child after marriage is the most powerful illustration, illustration of the loving relationship between God and his people. The word honor means, it's serious. It means 
in other places translated fear or reverence. In order to live this way, all of us, we are all children. We are all children. And we know that it's hard to live with our earthly parents from time to time. But we glorify God. We make much of God by doing this. So, this morning, adult or child, we are all children. And we need to turn to God for the grace we need to be good kids. So this morning, if you want, if you want to live this way, you need to be identified with Jesus. Even as a kid. Your union with Christ. Turn to Christ. Away from your sin. Because when you're with him, you are what we call justified. We all need justification. All the kids with your little coloring sheets, I want to see you attempt to spell justification. And show me uh, after the service. And we'll see. Uh, maybe there's a prize. Brandon, is there a prize for that? Can we give somebody a prize? I don't even know where Brandon is. Oh, he's right there. Praise be to God. Soon to be dad. Soon to be dad. And justified, let me just give you as simple of a definition. When you are in Christ, you are justified. That means it is just as if you never sinned. And, and if that wasn't good enough, just as if you always obeyed. Wow, that's what I need as a son. That's what I need as a child because I came into this world wanting to dishonor and disobey everyone. But praise be to God that by the grace shown me in Christ, I have different desires. I have a different heart. That's what our kids need. That's what we need. And of course, we see this in Jesus himself. Jesus was not above what he's asking you to do. He will in no way, in no way dehumanize you. He is the most human that has ever been. And he teaches us how to be human. Jesus honored and obeyed his father. He also, wrap your mind around this one. I can't. So maybe you can. He honored and obeyed his earthly parents, Mary and Joe. He honored them and obeyed them. And so as parents, we need to know. We need to have eyes wide open. When that baby is born, that baby is born disobedient. And not wanting to honor anyone. Hating authority. We need to have our eyes open to this. If we're going to parent them well. So this is what Paul says. I love how Jesus uh, breaks down family dynamics. Um, of course, I do. <laughs> he says this in John 14 about family dynamics. How they function, how they flow in our obedience in them as an outpouring of love. He says this, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And in that day, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself. I need a flow chart. I need a flow chart. But do you see that? Our obedience and our love and our response to the father, we are training our kids on how to respond to the father. They need to know. 
Because we want to grow up, and I want to do everything my father says. My father only has my flourishing in mind. My father only has my good in mind. My earthly dad maybe made some missteps along the way, but he was trying. Good fathers try to do this. This is a life abiding in the joy of the father. And our earthly families are supposed to reflect this. But it's worth saying, it's worth mentioning, that some of our families, some of our backgrounds, some of our, our stories to this point have reflected a very different, different kind of father to us. James Miller is helpful. This is what he says. One heart goes out to children of such fathers. And those of us who are fathers ourselves know that we too are far from perfect. But God the Father is not called Father because he copies earthly fathers. He is not some pumped up version of your dad to transfer the failings of our earthly fathers to him. Quite simply, it is a misstep. Instead, things are the other way around. See, all human fathers are supposed to reflect him. Only where some do that well and others do a better job reflecting the devil. We imitate God and that makes us slowly over time in the slow cooker of faith. Better fathers. Better fathers. Which brings us to our second uh, thing Paul says to get busy doing. Parents, make disciples of your kids. Verse 1, he addresses parents. Verse 2, father and mother. Verse 4, he zeroes in on fathers. Both are in this together. I think of Timothy. Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mother and his grandmother. Fathers and mothers are instructed to instruct their children as gifts from God. Again, Bonhoeffer says, from God you receive them, to God you lead them. That is your job. That is your job. That is our job, to lead them to God. But in verse 4, fathers are called out. Now remember, Paul is writing into the church at Ephesus. Again, nothing new under the sun. Fathers in this context could verbally, physically abuse their children with very little, if any, recourse. What he is writing here is revolutionary. It's turning the world upside down. He's actually saying, fathers, don't even provoke your child to anger. He's flipping the thing on its head. So how do we, as fathers, provoke our children to anger? I wrote a short but not exhaustive list. Just a few thoughts. When you fail to remember that your kids are kids, you provoke them to anger when your discipline is inconsistent. My dad told me, uh, when I was probably too young to even understand what he was saying, he said to me, you can't discipline your kids unless you first discipline yourself. When we exasperate them, when we do not express love to them, when we're heavy-handed when our kids make simple mistakes, when we discourage them but rarely encourage them, when we live hypocritical lives, Instead of aiming to live with integrity, a life where we confess our sin to our kids, we don't merely point theirs out. They think, oh, my dad's perfect, but then they see <laughs> we are not perfect. Or when we inadvertently give them the law and no gospel. All of these things can provoke our children to anger. But I love here that Paul says, Paul says, this is... He says, there is no category in, in Christian parenting, in a Christian view of parenting that has 
inactive, passive fathers. None. There's no, there's no example of fathers abdicating responsibility for bringing up their kids. God has entrusted us with children, and they belong to him. It's all a stewardship. So he gives them a negative command and a positive command. On the, on the negative side, he says, uh, don't provoke them to anger. On the positive, he says, bring them up. Bring them up. I love it. Same word in Ephesians 5.29, where husbands and wives, where, where husbands are said to nourish their wives. Same word. Nourish your children. Bring them up. The children should be lovingly cherished and cared for. And he has two things in mind, instruction and, dis- and discipline. On the instruction side, verbal teaching and counseling is in mind. And on the discipline side, training and punishment. We bring these two together. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we approach this with great humility because we know that we are imperfect. Hebrews 12 describes the discipline of the Lord and how amazing and wonderful it is. And then it throws in some stuff about earthly fathers that I find great comfort in. This is what it says in verse 7. Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much, 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 much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems unpleasant or painful. Amen? But later, it yields a peaceful fruit and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We discipline our kids as seems best to us. And when what seems best turns out to be wrong, we run. Don't walk. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. We run in front of our children to the throne of grace. We take our sin with our kids to that old rugged cross. We get on our knees and show our kids that the gospel we tell them they need is the exact same grace and gospel that we need. We discipline and instruct them. And when do we do this? This is the best part of all. Constantly. All the time. We talk about Jesus all the time. Deuteronomy 6, God's forming a people and he's sending them into a land. And in between, he's saying, okay, when you go in there, this is what you got to do. Teach them all the time. He says this in Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9. He just gave him the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Like the whole thing. He gave him all that. And then he says, this, he says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you go down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyeballs. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. All the time, all of the time, when you're on your way to the grocery store, da, 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 da. when you're on your way in the car, in the bus, on a train, on a plane, all of it, 
When you're coming and going and eating and sleeping and dreaming, everything is infused with the instruction of the Lord. Listen, we do not bring our children up based on the latest trends and fads, based on the blogosphere, based on the most current PhD. A seminary professor joked, for every PhD, there is an equal and opposite PhD. But the Lord our God is one. Based on the hottest new take or bestseller, no, we bring them up in the instruction and the admonition of the Lord. Every single, every day, every day we strive, we fail but we strive to tell them the old, old story of the Savior that came from glory. He gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like your dad. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, and then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. This is the story our kids need to hear. This is the story above all other stories. And all other stories are crying out to be found in this story. When our kids are but disciples in diapers, give them the story. When, our, when, when these disciples grow up and now they're in driver's ed, give them the story. When these disciples are getting degrees, give them the story. When our disciples are getting drunk, give them the story. When our disciples are having sex, give them the story. When our disciples need to hear is the good news of Jesus that saved us and can save them. So, Two quick moments of application, and then I'm out your way. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. We can breathe. We want to communicate to the hearts of our children. We want to get to the heart. Behavior modification will never change a child. The gospel alone does that. In the book of Ezekiel, we're even promised that when uh, we will be given new hearts, spirit will be poured out in our hearts, washed and redeemed, regardless of age. 69 your old man, today's the day. Your life can change. Three-year-old kid, two-year-old kid, today's the day. Hear the gospel, repent and believe. The Lord is no respecter of ages. So as parents, we deal with behavior. Of course, get off the couch. That's an electrical socket. This is the stove. Drive this way. Don't drive that way. Drive more like your mother, not more like your dad. All those things. But we're after deeper things. We're after values, beliefs, motives. What do our kids believe? What are they thinking? Who do they trust? What are they worshiping? We teach our kids of sin, repentance, the cross, grace. And we seek creative opportunities to have dialogue with our kids constantly. Uh, for us, it looks like at dinner, we play a game called high-low. I think uh, maybe I heard it, maybe Matt Chandler did it. Seems right. But we play a game called high-low. What's the highest point of your day? What's the lowest point? We're trying to create intentional rhythms in our life where we can have intentional conversations with our kids to try and get after their heart, to draw out of our kids what's going on in their heart. Obviously, as they get older and become more aware of what's going on, those conversations change. But get the rhythms in your life now. The second thing is we educate them in biblical truth. 
We teach them the storyline of the Bible, not just Bible stories. See, Noah's Ark is awesome, but if you just read the story of Noah's Ark, and then you're like, all right, let's go love the animals. Praise God. Let's love them. They're amazing. Then you miss the deep, rich, robust meaning of the story. Noah's Ark is great. Tell them the whole storyline. And this is going to be sloppy, and this is going to be messy. Now, you don't have to be seminary trained to do this. Get them to Jesus. It's a unified, redemptive storyline. Pick up Sally Lloyd-Jones' uh, book all about this. This isn't a book of rules. This isn't a book of heroes. This is a book, s- simply, God loves his children and comes to rescue them. One phrase, God saves sinners. Weird one, God kills the dragon, gets the girl. Every storyline is patterned after the best story ever told. We can find it everywhere. And then take them through key theological truths. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer when they go to bed. They learn it quick. Let me tell you. Maybe it's the creeds. Take them through the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed. New City Catechism. Great tool. We try to get truth inside their little heads. And then we try to pray the truth down into their hearts. So... We do all of these things before them. So if at this point, like me, when I'm even putting this together, you feel inadequate, you feel insufficient for these things, welcome to the club. Parenting drives us to our knees. We parent from a place of relaxed desperation. Relaxed because we know that our good Father in heaven is in complete control. And is at work in our kids' lives in 5,000 ways, and we're aware of three. And desperate because we are so aware of our limitations. They're real. We don't have the control. Our knowledge is finite. Our sin is always crouching at the door. As Psalm 127 says that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So we pray, and we seek the Lord in relaxed desperation but we know that in our weakness we find over and over and over again that God's strength is sufficient the grace of God that trains us for godliness is the same great grace that is our great hope in parenting and for all of us who are weak children myself included we have a father in heaven who is almighty and sovereign and also unimaginably good we can entrust ourselves to him as we obey and show honor to our parents. And for weak parents, you have a strong Savior. And your identity is not found in your parenting performance, but in the finished work of Christ. And His mercies are new every morning. Maybe you flew off the handle on the way here with one of your kids. Repent. Turn. There's grace. Our sin is great. His mercy is more. So in all this, brothers and sisters, we are called to imitate God the Father and God the Son by the power of God the Spirit to glorify Him in our families and how we relate to one another in love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you as your children, just in great need. Being a child is hard. Being a parent is hard. But Father, you have not left left us alone, and you have not remained silent. You have given us a word, and you've given us your son. 
So, Father, in the moments that follow, I pray that we would repent of what we must repent of. Turn to you where we've been clinging to our own cleverness to do this. You alone have the power to redeem. So, Father, we turn to you right now. Father, thank you for teaching us this morning. I pray all of this in your name. Amen.